0: Republican split.
2: I am here to
0: support Brian Kemp. Get out and vote. David Perdue. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. And we're here today with special co-host Tia Mitchell. We are the political insiders here at the AJC. And when we say on the ground, we mean on the ground, because all three of us are now taping this podcast from an airport hangar in North Cobb County in the beautiful city of Kennesaw, um, just after former Vice President Mike Pence came and campaigned for. Brian Kemp and Patricia. It was an, it was kind of a wild evening because at the very same time or just about as Mike Pence was ending, Donald Trump was doing a tele-rally for David Perdue. David is going to be able to win and win easily because he's got the spirit. But he's running against Kemp, who lied as a rhino... Who would, along with his friend Raffensberger, allowed the Georgia election to be rigged and to be stolen. It was rigged, and it was stolen. You
2: can feel that Georgia is at the center of it all when Mike Pence and Donald Trump are both trying to have their way in the governor's race at the exact same time. And that's where we are tonight.
0: That's where we are tonight, Tia. And this is also the biggest split between, Mike Pence and Donald Trump since the 2020 election. I mean, I can't think of any bigger split between the two men, um, at least in terms of endorsements. Um, So this might set the stage for some interesting 2024 maneuvering.
1: Yeah, it looks like Mike Pence is setting the stage to run in 2024, no matter what former President Trump does. So that would be interesting to see a president and his former, you know, handpicked running mate running against him but right now you know it's a proxy battle through georgia so um i love that all eyes are here did you all see the number of media here oh yeah. like compared to even the runoffs it's so much bigger so much more focused on georgia
2: it kind of feels like we're the only game in town right now
0: yeah, you know, and, and there's a few other interesting primaries tomorrow in Texas and in Alabama. Alabama has a great one, yes. but no, we were we had multiple CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, a bunch of heavyweights came down here, and it was fun, kind of um, uh, jarring back and forth with them. But uh, Patricia. Um, You know, when you're talking about the value of Mike Pence's endorsement, look, you know, there's not as many loyal Mike Pence supporters as Donald Trump supporters. Um, So this is probably more important to Mike Pence as a message than it is to Brian Kemp. But it certainly shows you that... The Trump foes, the Trump critics, those who are distancing themselves from the former president, they're starting to rally around Brian Kemp because it's not just Mike Pence. You know, we saw Chris Christie the other day. George W. Bush donated to Brian Kemp's campaign. Doug Ducey was down here. Pete Ricketts was down here. So a number of sort of, I don't know if you call them establishment or, or just... Trump critics, uh, old old guard Republicans maybe might be the best way to describe them. They're, they're rallying around Brian Kemp right now.
2: Yeah, and what's so fascinating is that the one person who is not a Trump critic is Brian Kemp. He has managed to really thread this needle. And if he pulls this off in the primary, and then we have to have a whole other conversation about November. But if he can pull this off in the Republican primary in Georgia of being relentlessly attacked and verbally assaulted and targeted for defeat by Donald Trump during the Trump era and kind of the Republican Party of Donald Trump, and yet Brian Kemp is finding a way back to success. He is really starting to uh, put together a recipe to be on Donald Trump's bad side, but not be on Donald Trump voters' bad side. Republicans can't live without those Donald Trump voters; they need those voters. But uh, Brian Kemp, in this particular case, also needs to find a way to um, stand by the decisions he's made in the past with the election and still get reelected in the state. And he is—he is putting to me—it's almost like solving. Um, The Rosetta Stone. He is like, he is finding the magic, the secret sauce of how to survive in this Republican Party. And I think other uh, Republicans are hopping on that bandwagon.
1: Yeah, I think that's like when we try to describe why all these old guard establishment Republicans are coming to Brian Kemp's aid. It's just that because they want a blueprint for how to move forward past Donald Trump. It's not, I don't think they want to like get rid of him but they want to know how can we win races, especially in swing states like Georgia, without needing to rely on Donald Trump. Because quite frankly, Georgia taught them that if you lean too hard on Donald Trump, it can backfire because some of the things he says aren't helpful. And um, we saw that even during today's tele which I'm sure we'll get to. But, you know, so they're, they're very invested, not so much in Georgia But they're invested in figuring out how to win, figuring out how to move on. And I think they see that Governor Kemp appears to have come up with a good solution. And as you mentioned, part of that is even as he's attacked by Donald Trump almost daily, he doesn't speak poorly about Donald Trump. He just doesn't speak about Donald Trump at all. But he avoids criticizing Donald Trump. And I think that has helped him because it's managed to not alienate those members of the party who are still pretty loyal to the former president
0: See I was going to ask you about that because yeah you, you mentioned the blueprint it is a blueprint but it's if, if indeed Kemp wins on Tuesday but it's a really hard to replicate blueprint too because you have an incumbent Republican governor with a very conservative record um, it'll be a lot harder for for candidates without Trump's endorsement um, with this facing this sort of backlash to win if they're in open races without you know without with that sort of record but this you've you've seen certainly you've, you covered the 2018 campaign you've seen Kemp in action before but We're just coming off of of a major speech. I'm curious your reaction to the fact that he's trying to, you know, watching him live, trying to navigate this balance. He didn't say a single negative word about Trump, and and I've never heard him say say one, at least in the last two years.
1: Yeah, and not only, not a negative word about Donald Trump, and he's also running as he's already the nominee. So he didn't have anything to say about David Perdue either. Um, But, you know, back to Trump, I think... It is it is going to be hard to replicate, but I think if there are Republicans who are trying to pay attention and try to figure out what are the takeaways, number one, you've got to have a record to stand on, on your own, without anybody. And Governor Kemp, with the help of the General Assembly, which is, you know, led by Republicans who clearly wanted to see him succeed, they gave him plenty to run on. You know, he's got tax cuts. He's got addressing the the high gas prices, he's got economic development and all these new businesses coming, he's got um, the constitutional carry gun bill, he's got signing the abortion bill, he's got all these things he can run on that, you know, who can say he's not a true conservative when you look at all the things he's championed and looked at all the things he did? And then he has, I think, very smartly pivoted and ignored Donald Trump. So he didn't have sound bites that could be used against him by Trump allies and Trump loyalists. Um, and, and even when it came to the big lie, Brian Kemp resisted doing what Donald Trump wanted him to do as far as overtone, overturning the 2020 election. But even then, I remember he resisted kind of going out there and attacking Donald Trump you know he Mm -hmm. tried to take the high road and not make it about Trump he made it about hey I can't do this thing I don't think this thing needs to be done that I'm being asked to do so hey I'm not going to do it but it was never like shame on Donald Trump which is I think again part of that blueprint
0: and he's still signing the law uh, legislation inspired by Donald Trump's falsehoods that creates new obstacles to the ballot box. Patricia, um, if there is a central message of the Kemp's argument, and really David Perdue's in a way too, but more of Kemp's, it's that electability, he's the only Republican who can beat Stacey Abrams. A- and over the weekend, um, we, we heard a comment from Stacey Abrams that will be, is, the, is sort of the father of all sorts of campaign attacks. Let's listen.
1: I am tired of hearing about being the best state in the country to do business when we are the worst state in the country to live. Now, somebody's going to try to politifact me on this, so let me contextualize. When you're number 48 for mental health, when you're number one for maternal mortality, when you have an incarceration rate that's on the rise and wages that are on the decline, then you're not the number one place to to live. In the United States, but we can get there.
0: Now, Patricia, you know, we heard the whole um, comment right now, but we know that Republicans are going to focus on the snippet where she says Georgia is the worst state in the nation. Um, and this is going to be something that, like in 2018, um, The Republicans are going to try to make her regret those.
2: Yes, and uh, they already are hard at work trying to make Stacey Abrams regret that. And here at the event with um, Mike Pence and Brian Kemp, we heard about that line no fewer than half a dozen times, both from Brian Kemp and from Mike Pence. Each said, well, apparently Stacey Abrams thinks Georgia is not the best state uh, to live. Um, Let's hear some of what Pence and Kemp had to say earlier. And everybody's already referenced this breaking news out there from a few days ago when Stacey Abrams was talking to some left-wing activists in Gwinnett County about how she was tired of hearing about Georgia being the number one state in the country for business and that we're the worst state to live in. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I'm glad we're the number one state in the country for business. Now, I just heard on my way here that Stacey Abrams said she's getting tired of hearing about Georgia being the best state in the country to do business. You know, but judging from Governor Kemp's record, like the 7,500 new jobs coming to Hyundai outside Savannah, Stacy, you better get used to it. Now, Stacey Abrams, of course, had other context for that argument. And in fact, it played so well in that room that there was a huge applause after that. After She went into all of the details about um, being uh, first in the state for maternal mortality and having failed to expand Medicaid. So when you can explain it, you can understand where she was going with that. But you don't have time to explain things in Georgia politics. I mean, listen, I read that line and in my mind, I'm like, there's no way she said that because i read it on twitter on mm-hmm. saturday night i'm like come on there's no way and then sure enough it's exactly what she said it almost looked like it was scripted i mean it was a very deliberate line i, I would like to explain there's not a hurricane
1: coming through <laughs> we're at an airport <laughs> folks so that was they're an airplane just breaking taking off.
2: down the stage and it literally sounds like <laughs> no, a weather event. yeah i think that, was an, that airplane, was an
1: airplane either landing or taking off yeah. coming
2: in oh yeah, stop. We, remember we're at a hangar i know well so, i didn't know there was an airport i mean an airplane in the hangar. Georgia
0: um listeners we Bring you right to the heart of the action.
2: <laughs> and for my once, back is toward the action, so I don't For know once, what's we're not in our cars there, do you? That yeah. was,
1: I think that was maybe Stacey Abrams running to clean up her mess. You know, like that line, I, I think Stacey Abrams is realizing that as much as she wants to speak her mind, she still has to think like a candidate. You still have got to choose your words carefully because Republicans are going to take you out of context. And some of that, she can't. She won't be able to stop them from taking out of context. She won't be able to stop them from twisting her words. But she can not give them ammunition. And I think that's something, you know, it's a lesson learned. It's early in the campaign. She's, you know, a little rusty, I think. And she's got to get back in there. It's not the worst gaffe. But this one, I think, is a lesson learned for her. But... To your point, the, the greater point is that there are a lot of indicators where Georgia's not doing so well. And that does, I think, resonate particularly with Democratic voters.
2: Yeah. But even Brian Kemp, in his own words, he will say, now Georgia's not there yet. We still have work to do. I think voters, especially right now, want a sunny, optimistic outlook with a dose of reality that and we're not there yet but I think to come out so hard against the state even as the explanation makes perfect sense to everybody in the room that's going to need a heavy retooling are you coming out with a message for voters that is optimistic or or that is a laundry list of everything that Brian Kemp has done wrong.
0: If anything though, also Stacey Abrams is self-aware because right after she said that she, because I know Republicans are gonna attack me, but, and it reminded me of 2018 when we were covering the campaign to and um, Stacey Abrams was on the campaign trail down in Statesboro, and she had some off the cuff remark about how people in the agriculture and the tourism industry shouldn't have to do those jobs. And she immediately corrected herself. I mean, within within you know moments, she corrected herself, and it, but it didn't matter because Republicans had that clip, and boy, did they use it against her. And they're
1: her. still using that they're clip against it. her, you know. And it's part of the game. Yeah. It's part of part of campaigning. It's part of the tracking and every word is going to be used against them and it's kind of what keeps politicians buttoned up and one of the things that's refreshing about Stacey Abrams is she does at least come across as not so scripted not so you know buttoned up that she it helps her connect with voters because they believe she's genuine they believe she speaks her mind and that she's not just going through talking points because she thinks they poll well that's at least her brand you know she's smart so i'm not saying she's completely off the cuff at all but her brand is that genuine connection she tries to have when she speaks to people but there are trade-offs you know because every now and then you'll say something that may be heartfelt and based in truth but doesn't always um you know that could you know be used against you this is politically georgia from the atlanta journal constitution Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents. Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want a blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can
0: deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming
1: now at AJC.com slash hip-hop.
2: Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com indictmentnewsletter Indictment Newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com indictmentnewsletter Indictment
0: Newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and our special co-host, Tia Mitchell, our Washington correspondent down in Georgia for the day, or for the week, I or should the week. say. Yeah. yeah, what am I thinking day? And we are your three political insiders at the AJC. We're also your three authors of The Morning Jolt, which we think is the bee's knees. We think it sets the stakes and the agenda in (laughs) Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. And guess what? Your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. I, I can't even think of a better even 198 What else cents.
2: can you even buy for not say less cents. than a cup of coffee I mean, a, lot lot less. a lot less yeah man. It's about a quarter of a cup of coffee So
0: join our community so you always know what's really going on and I wish I knew what was really going to go into the jolt tomorrow
2: because <laughs> What it's, is really going on great It's late
0: but uh we'll have a really great jolt for you that kind of Sets the stage, sets the stakes for the election.
2: Yes. Well, it's going to, absolutely, it's going to be a look at what we're watching for the election because, my goodness gracious, there's going to be a lot.
0: So we've spent a lot of time talking about Kemp versus Purdue, but, you know, there's 12 other Trump-backed candidates on the ballot, and... The one that's getting even more attention in the Senate race, because Herschel Walker is such a huge lead, is the battle for Secretary of State. Yes. And if you had told me a year ago that Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger had an actual chance, even if it was slim, of an of a, of a outright victory on primary, day, I would have, I would have t- taken that bet in a heartbeat against
2: that. He was dead man walking around this state. And listen, and I've I've said this before, I wrote a profile of Brad Raffensperger at the height of uh, his uh, uh, interactions and fights with Donald Trump. And I reached out to a number of Republicans who were allies of his. And no one would go on the record to say something nice about Brad Raffensperger. They were so afraid to cross Donald Trump in that moment. Um, so he was just a man out there on an island. And it really felt like he was going to be the only person to vote for himself <laughs> on wow. Election Day. Um, of course, along with his lovely wife, Tricia. Um, but he was—he had no friends in this town. Um, and lo and behold, he is, uh, re- he is still in this race. He's essentially tied with Jody Heiss, who has Donald Trump's backing, Um, He is uh, spending a lot of money. I spoke with uh, uh, some Republican voters earlier today he is just loading up mailboxes with flyers, lots of literature, um, a four page glossy today with uh, the front of it is just a big zero. And the interior says that's how many bills Jody Heiss introduced in Congress related to election integrity. So he's not, you know, Raffensburger is not giving this thing away. And I'm really fascinated by the race he's running and they the traction he's gotten
0: he is not going quietly into the into that night at all and yeah tia he could end up in a very at a nationally watched runoff i mean if, if if what we think of the polls that indicate that Kemple went out right easily and that herschel walker could win out right easily we're talking about a june prime a june runoff that will attract heaps of national attention and could very well bring donald trump back to georgia this time to stump for, for exclusively for jody Heiss.
1: Yeah, I think it's so interesting. Number one, I think it's going to be interesting to see if either Team Raffensperger or Team Heist regrets that change that shrinks the runoff time period because they're going to have just a month, whereas under the old law they would have had more time to make a case. So whoever, if they make it to a runoff and if they ultimately lose, I think they're going to say, if I only had more time to raise more money and to get my message out to voters, maybe there would be a different outcome. But they can blame the members of their party. Nine (laughs) weeks to three. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. nine weeks to three. So, but I also think it's so interesting that three or four weeks-ish, yeah, (laughs) month-ish. But, you know, I think that, you know, Raffensperger is different than Governor Kemp in that, Let Big Lie set that aside In general it's a pretty understated role Most people don't know who the Secretary of State is Let alone what the Secretary of State does And so It's harder I think for him to make a case Like other than the Big Lie What is he really known about Other than fighting with Donald Trump About the Big Lie He doesn't really have much of an identity Or much name recognition beyond that So it's hard to separate himself from that Um, And I think that's why You see it closer for him um that being said jody heiss is still struggling to get his own name recognition out there because most folks don't know him except for he's the guy trump likes and mm-hmm. you know he's a member of congress somewhere in georgia where you know a lot of people don't live you know <laughs> a pretty rural area you know so i i think it's going to be fascinating but it's going to be it's it looks like it's going to be a runoff and then it's just going to be wild, a wild month of them really going at each other.
0: Um, you know who this period, well, first of all, you know who doesn't miss nine-week runoffs? Voters and reporters <laughs> having to yes. go cover a nine-week runoff. And it does tend to benefit people with money. And Brad Raffensperger is a multi-multi-millionaire and he's already self-financed his campaign to a large degree and he can build that operation. He can scale up if he needs to. The question is how much of his own money will he want to spend? Um, but there's also bound to be other really interesting runoffs and other really interesting races. And it is very hard to predict how these Democratic contests are going to go. We're talking about Democratic races for Lieutenant Governor, Democratic races for Secretary of State, even for Labor Commissioner and Agriculture. In that 7th District. And the 7th District. And Tia, yeah, you've been covering um, Carolyn Bordeaux, Lucy McBath, two well-respected um, members of Congress with their own brands, with their own followings, who both represented the, the rising Democratic tide in the suburbs, now by Republican redrawing of those districts, pushed in together in a sense, um, you know, forcing, in a, in a way, Lucy McBath to switch districts and run in, in the 7th district, which is now a safely Democratic
1: seat. Yeah, that's that's the race that I'm, you know, really watching and it doesn't have, you know, kind of the national attention that some of our statewide races have. But it's going to be very interesting because, you know, the third candidate in the race, Donna McLeod, the state representative, you know, she likes to say I'm the only one who actually lives in this yeah. district. But she's likely to be a distant third. She just wasn't able to raise nearly the money or have nearly the um the name recognition that Representatives McBath and Bordeaux have after serving in Congress, um, but it Lucy McBath has a lot more money. She has some big packs, deep pocket groups um, that are that are campaigning for her. She's sending a lot of mailers. But I think she, one of the things that Carolyn Bordeaux used to kind of try to, uh, I don't want to say attack. That's probably too strong, but poke holes in mcbath's campaign is saying mcbath focuses so much on her personal story and like just general appeal does she really understand this district does she really understand what she wants to do not just as every woman congresswoman but district seven this really unique diverse patch of Metro Atlanta. And so Bordeaux's really focused on that, like saying, I've represented more of these people than McBath has. And I actually know this district, know its challenges. I've been working here. Um, And McBath had to pivot a little bit and focus more on the district in recent weeks. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens on primary day. A lot of people feel like McBath is the front runner, but I see, you know, there could be a possibility that that goes to a runoff.
2: Yeah. And I think that Bordeaux, you know, if you had to sort of lay over two um, two ways to describe this, it's sort of like the workhorse and the show horse, meaning that, uh, McBath is so skilled at communication. She is so well-known nationally. She has such a tight message. Um, and Bordeaux has just been working those grassroots every school board member knows her every member of each of those county commissions knows her she has met with them and she's in that district a lot on the ground a lot and she has more of those local endorsements instead of the national endorsements. she has um african-american local lawmakers supporting her and so it will be just fascinating to see how these two dynamics play out and i think it will really tell us a lot about what direction democratic voters want to go in because these are there is a contrast between these two candidates, and we'll know a lot. It's such a change, it's such a quickly changing district, and it's going to be the exact kind of district that Democrats in the nation need to do well in. And so they'll be able to take this as a blueprint to say, okay, this is a message about the direction we should consider in the future.
0: Okay. While you still have the ball, and before we get kicked out of this hanger that we're, we're, we're
2: taping <laughs> Before in. they take our own table down. <laughs>
0: yes. Um, I want to go around the horn and ask each of you, uh, other than the races we've, we've already discussed, which is the top race you'll be watching on Tuesday for the primary? Patricia.
2: Other than the races we have already You're discussed, about governor, we've
0: talked about this. Um, yeah, some of the down t- secretary of state, some of
2: the yep. down ticket races in the seventh district. Absolutely. What else, what
0: else are you very closely watching?
2: Well, very clo- very closely watch. Um, of course, you know. Um, let me let me put a pin in it. The attorney general's race, Chris Carr, right now um, from internal polling is polling about two to one over John Gordon. I have seen John Gordon in a couple of these activist settings, and he just lights that place on fire. I mean, he is speaking the 2000 mules activist message. Stop this Stop the steal. prosecuting teachers he, if they he, teach CRT. Oh my goodness, send them to jails. You know, somebody broke the law. Can't say who broke the law, you know. Um but he makes perfect sense to those activists and he he is somebody who has really lit up a little bit at the grassroots. So I'll be watching that race carefully.
1: So for me, the honorable mention goes to the um, District 6 Republican primary, um, Rich McCormick McCormick and Jake Evans. But the race I want to talk about is the one in Southwest Georgia, District 2. We know Republicans want to flip that seat, take it away from longtime Democrat Sanford Bishop. But that Republican primary there's a guy who's like kind of that establishment move on from Trump group is backing Jeremy Hunt. Mm-hmm. And all the other candidates are like, where did this guy come from? He he, he didn't even live here a couple he's months ago. He's on Fox all the time. He's on Fox <laughs> all the time. And he kind of came from that commentator. He's very much in that brand like C.J. Pearson type. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but he's, you know, got an adorable family. Well, and he a Law veteran, School? Yale Law <laughs> School veteran. And so... It's military community. Yes. So he checks a lot of boxes off, um, except for having many ties to that district. Um, But it's, you know, Republicans think he's the best chance to win against Sanford Bishop in the fall. So it will be really interesting to see if, Republican voters in that district agree.
0: That leaves me with Bullock County Commission seat District 1. No. Uh, <laughs> come on.
1: <laughs> I, it must be some drama there. I'm ready to no, I'm no here for it. Instance, like, oh, I've been waiting for this game to come
0: No, I have to go with 10th district thing because um, it hasn't come up yet. But I wrote once that that was the biggest test of Donald Trump's influence in the nation. And uh, we don't know if it's still the case. But still, when Donald Trump endorsed, Former Democrat Vernon Jones, the former CEO of DeKalb County, um, a former liberal Democrat who up until about a year ago was still a Democratic state lawmaker, when he endorsed him for that seat, it meant that he was laying a lot on the line to clear the field for David Perdue. So he did a lot. I mean, when people say that Donald Trump is inching away, he's he's distancing himself from, from David Perdue, that, that could be true. But he, he has already put so much into this campaign for David Perdue, including helping to clear the field for David Perdue by getting Vernon Jones to switch races and run in rural Northeast Georgia from his Metro Atlanta home. So there's a lot to unpack and we will continue to unpack it for you at the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes of this podcast to come out, I don't know, all the time. um, Every Wednesday, Friday or whenever news breaks, which is a lot these days. And we will see you then on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.